Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. Ah, <laughs> uh, hello there. Delighted to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and I've got a curious thing for you to look at. If you'll follow me over here to the gallery section of the shop where we have some of our uh, artwork on display, uh, here's a piece that you might want to gaze into. It's by an amateur artist that's new to the shop, uh, but I thought you might want to take a look at it if you notice the the brush strokes uh, depict varying levels of darkness. It's almost as if you're looking into the black of night. And if you look very closely, you might even notice the faint glimmer of that which looks like maybe a Cheshire cat grin. But this is no grin of happiness or joy. This is a grin of sinister design. And therein lies the heart of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new movie, Smile. So Smile is a movie I've been looking forward to for quite some time because you couldn't really get away from this movie. Any of the horror movies I've seen up until now, that was always one of the trailers. If you're online looking around, it was always uh, trailers for Smile or, or the different promotional artwork, movie poster artwork was constantly being promoted and suggested and sponsored. And, and they really did a good job, I think, of marketing this film. I loved in the days leading up to the release of this movie they had planted people at like baseball games wearing t-shirts that just said smile and they're standing in the audience of these games uh, just with these wickedly intense grins on their face. It was quite creepy and like I said so brilliant. I love creative marketing ideas like this. It's not just putting out a trailer it's not just you know putting out some movie posters but things like this websites that aren't necessarily there to promote the movie but they promote some aspect of the movie uh, a lot of really creative marketing ideas like that really kind of capture the imagination and really impress me it shows that the studio and, and the producers are, are really backing and pushing this movie because they believe in it. And that is half the battle for, for any movie makers out there is just to have uh, the studio uh, behind your film believing in what you're doing and willing to put forth the effort to get it out there and and get people to to recognize it and to to give it a look and that is exactly what uh, they did with this and so I, I was quite pleased to see uh, a studio really get behind a horror film like this and really they they uh, attach their train to the right engine because this movie, I'll say right off the bat, I was really impressed with this. I really like this. This was probably 
one of the scarier movies I've seen in quite some time. I don't jump easy at movies. I mean, yeah, you you jump at cheap jump scares, but I don't I don't get scared. I don't get that that nervous aching feeling in my chest or in the pit of my stomach very much at movies. It takes a lot to scare me. And this really this had me on edge in many scenes throughout this movie. So to to say this scared me uh, a bit uh, that's saying something because, like I said, I, I don't think I scare easy. Uh, now, granted, there were a lot of jump scares in this that you couldn't help but jump at, but they had some genuinely creepy, scary moments that just uh, were very unnerving at times. And that's, you know, to me, that's the hallmark of a good uh, horror film that they don't need jump scares. They don't need, you know, gross out horror or anything like that. They can scare you with an atmosphere and a mood and just the the, the perfect imagery uh, to really uh, give it the creeps. And, and that this movie did that. So we're going to talk about that. I, I'm going to try to be as unspoilery as possible. The unspoilery section is going to be quite brief because I really want to dig into the nuts and bolts of this movie. So we're going to talk a lot of spoils. But uh, but I'll give you my, my unspoilery look at the movie right off the bat, and then we'll jump into some spoiler territory, at which time I will let you know that you might want to uh, might want to hit pause, go watch the movie, and then come back. But if you have watched the movie, uh, we're really going to kind of dig into to the meat of this thing. So this movie starts out with Dr. Rose Cotter, uh, played by Sosie Bacon. And if you're not familiar with her, get familiar with Sosie Bacon, because I think she's got a really bright future. Uh, because, well, I mean, she comes from acting royalty, uh, so to speak. She is the daughter of Kevin Bacon and Keira Sedgwick, two brilliant actors. Uh, she is their offspring, and she really, to me, this is my first movie or anything I've seen with her in it. Now, I know she's done some other things. Uh, she's done uh, Mayor of Easttown, Narcos Mexico, uh, some of the more recent things she's done. So she's done some things. She's out there right now. Uh, I just, I've not watched either one of those shows. I've not seen any of the movies that she's been up in up until this point. So this is really my first exposure to Sosie Bacon. And man, did she do a really good job. But, but she plays Rose, who is a psychologist. And she works in kind of this emergency psychiatric ward of a hospital. And on a, a chance encounter, she runs into Laura Weaver played by Caitlin Stacy and this is this is the scene that you see so much of in the trailers where she's talking to Laura and Laura's saying how she's seeing things and it could look like anybody she knows uh, but it's always smiling and then they have that brilliant scene and I, I thought oh they're giving away too much but the the trailer where she is seeing something that Rose cannot see. There is something in the room that Rose doesn't realize is there, but it is there with with Laura. And you can tell by the reaction uh, that Laura gives and, and the performance that Caitlin Stacy gives as Laura, that there is something in that room with them and and only Laura can see it. And I thought, ah, oh, they're just they're they're giving away the scene too much, but the scene is just as disturbing, if not more disturbing, in the movie than it is even in the trailer. It didn't lose any of its shock value. It actually uh, ramped up the shock value because you watch this this scene playing out with this character Laura 
going through what she's going through, reacting to something that we can't see. We're kind of in the position of Rose that we can't see what Laura is seeing, but there is something going on there. And then all of a sudden, uh, things stop. And then Laura is standing there with that grin on her face. And they use this smile, this this big grin, as kind of a, a symbol of this evil entity that is in this movie. And there are some actors do it better than others. Uh, there's some of the actors in there that, that give this smile that, that our protagonist, uh, Rose, eventually starts seeing. And that's not a big spoiler. That's that's in the trailer. Uh, you, you know that right off the bat if you watch the trailer. Uh, but but some of the some of the actors do it to greater effect than others. And one of the actors that that did it perfectly is is Caitlin Stacy. The grin that she gives, the smile that she gives, is so menacing and so bone chilling and just it raises the hair on the back of your neck uh, another person that really did a fantastic job with portraying that that evil smile is robin weigert who we'll talk about here in a little bit when when we start to talk about the character that she plays but but those two actresses uh, just portrayed that that wicked uh that wicked smile that wicked smirk that joyfully evil feel that really made this movie so creepy. But right off the bat, with this this opening scene with with Rose and Laura and and just the two of them in this room, it really sets the table for the horror because not only do you get the creepiness and the uh, malevolence uh, of this this entity that that we've we've just now been exposed to and just now heard about, and but there were so many questions as to what it is, and then you get a bit of gore. And that's the one thing I really thought was kind of cool about this because this this played on horror on so many levels because there is a psychological aspect to the horror. There is a spiritual aspect to the horror. There is a physical uh, and, and gore, blood-based aspect to the horror in this. So it really touched on a lot of different levels of horror that, that I appreciated as well. And you get a lot of that all just in this one opening scene. But as the... As the trailer suggests, Rose is exposed to this entity through Laura in this very first scene. And now Rose starts to see this entity appear before her. And she can tell by this smile that that people keep having. Or the visions, this replicant vision of people she knows uh, have this this evil grin, this evil smile. That That's how she knows uh, that the entity is in her presence. And then from here on out, it's, it's all about her relationships with the people close to her and how uh, seeing this entity and this entity uh, haunting and stalking her affects her life and kind of the downward spiral of her mental state, uh, which is already kind of fragile because uh, we learn that the Rose Cotter character while she is a uh, a psychologist that deals with people in traumatic situations in this emergency psychiatric ward, uh, she also has had uh, a childhood trauma that has affected her, uh, which is why the Robin Weigert character 
comes into play. And again, we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later with her character. But this story does a great job in showing how this, this entity is kind of alienating Rose and alienates all of its victims by constantly chipping away at their sanity, constantly chipping away at their relations with with the people close to them whether it is overtly manipulating situations uh, like with her nephew's birthday party or whether it is some sort of uh, subversive uh, screwing with relationships because it is causing her to lose her mind and become quite manic and that chips away at her relationships like with her fiance trevor but Sosie Bacon really did a great job playing this character because uh, I, I really liked she she really embodied a lot of the things that this character needed. This character needed to be an empathetic character, uh, a character that's doing things for people. She's a part of the psychiatric uh, emergency psychiatric ward uh, because she cares about people. She could do this uh, privately and make a lot more money, but she decided she wants to work with this hospital, work with these people that are coming off the street because she wants to do good in the world because of the trauma that she suffered when she was a child. And that's kind of a big mystery. Uh, we get little pieces here and there, and then there's kind of a big twist at the end as to what really is the trauma that she experienced. But, uh, but she's, you know, comes across as a good character. She's a good person. She wants to help people. Uh, she genuinely wants to help people. And then when this entity starts to get involved with her life and start toying with her and haunting her, uh, we see the, it's not really a slow downward spiral into this manic and distressed psychological state. Uh, it actually happens pretty quick, maybe even in some regards a little too quick. Uh, we'll talk about my thoughts on that a little later, but, but Sosie Bacon does a good job in, in portraying at least some levels of this mental breakdown that she's having as this entity kind of stalks her and haunts her and starts uh, interfering with her life and creates this cloud of impending doom over her and her character really goes through and i can't remember if i it was the director writer and director parker finn or or maybe maybe it was Sosie bacon i can't remember who i heard an interview with them where they talked about it, it being a roller coaster ride and this character uh rose really goes through a roller coaster ride of emotion and Sosie bacon does a great job in portraying those ups and downs of emotion through her acting so i uh, really so impressed with Sosie bacon having not been really exposed to a lot of her work myself she is an actress that uh, I, i'm really excited to see more from her because i think she did a really good job with this movie and i, I know i talked about her briefly but uh caitlin stacy as the laura character she's not in this much uh, but what she is in this this first main scene that really kind of sets things up Wow, does she put on an acting clinic in this because you really do believe that she is seeing something and reacting to something physical in that room that is that is there 
but nobody else can see. Rose can't see it. We can't see it. Only she can see it. And she's really believable in the terror that she expresses as a reaction to the unseen that that only she can see. Uh, she does a fantastic job with that. It really would have been nice to see her in a little more of this movie because uh, I, she just did such a great job. And, and she is another actress, which I... I you know, I've seen, like I saw her, she was an I Frankenstein. I saw that. I didn't remember her from that, but uh, but she was in that. Some of the other things she's been in, I've heard of, but uh, but haven't really seen uh, that, that Fantasy Island remake. I've heard of that, but I never actually watched it. Uh, not the, the scary movie version, the, uh, the TV uh, episodic version. She played a main role in that TV series, Rain. Again, it's not something I watch personally. So, you know, she, she's been in things. It just like not a lot that I've seen. So uh, again, another actress that I was really impressed with her performance and would really like to see more from her. I wish she would have been in more of this movie. I understand why she wasn't, uh, because that character was not meant for the rest of this movie, but uh, she she did such a fine job with the character that you really wished you could have seen more with her. I'm not a big fan of prequels for everything, but I would like to see a movie about her experience with this entity and how she got to where we find her at the beginning of this movie. Now, while this movie really primarily focuses on Sosie Bacon's character, Rose, uh, there are uh, a few other actors and actresses that uh, really helped make a, a solid cast. I, I was quite impressed with the fact that they, they used actors you know. It's it's a lot of uh, actors and actresses like, oh yeah, they're from, oh yeah, that movie or, or that TV show. Uh, not household name actors. And, and that really helps put you into the, the space, put you into this world and not take you out of it with some big recognizable name actor. I really liked Jesse T. Usher, who played Trevor, the fiancé to Rose in this. And of course, you know uh, him from The Boys, plays A-Train on The Boys. Uh, I, I really like this character, A-Train on The Boys, because it's such a complex character. I, I think he is atypical, this character A-Train, atypical of people who get caught up in their own hype and their own fame. They're not bad people. They just get caught up in, in all the yes men and yes women telling you what you want to hear. And, you know, you, you start to get that ego and ego trumps the good things that you were raised on. That's why I like the A-Train character. And I think Jesse Usher plays that character quite well. So to see him show up in this and, and he plays a good guy for, for the most part, he's a good guy. You know, he's a, he's a good fiance to Rose and, until he's pushed to the point where her uh, manic nature, she's going crazy and, and she's losing her mental grip uh, because she's being tortured and and stalked by this evil entity and he's he's a good fiance up until the point where he just can't take the, the craziness anymore much like the francis character from that movie watcher it's not that he's a bad guy he's just pushed to the point where he can no longer take the the craziness uh, that he just doesn't understand. And yeah, I guess that probably could be a commentary on uh, men not taking women seriously or anything like that. But anybody put in that position where somebody is acting crazy and there's no tangible evidence to say 
that what they're saying is true. You know, there but for the grace of God go I. That's that's the kind of situation. Uh, you know, you can't say, you can sit there and, and look at a movie and say, oh, I would have done it this way, but or I would have acted this way, or I would have believed her. But if you found yourself in the real world set in that position that they're in, maybe you wouldn't be so ready to believe everything just because somebody says so. But the character, I, I, I like the character uh, because it does create those conversation. It does create that dialogue. It does make you think, how would you handle this situation? And you could either lie to yourself and say you would do it better than him, or you could be honest and be like, oh yeah, maybe maybe I would react the way he is. But he also really plays, the, uh, Jesse Usher plays this character quite well because he's He's, you know, the the actor is a very likable, charming guy. He's got a very charming delivery. Uh, he, you know, he plays a good guy. I mean, he can play a bad guy like he does in The Boys at, at times. But he's just a, he's a likable actor and, and he plays a likable guy. And that's what this Trevor character needed to be. Uh, he, and he was quite likable. Now, another actor, Kyle Gallner, who is, he's, he's one of those guys where you see him and you're like, oh. I've seen him in something else. I just can't remember where. And he's been in several things. He was in uh, The Haunting in Connecticut, Jennifer's Body. He was in A Nightmare on Elm Street remake back in 2010. He was in Scream earlier this year. He was in a few episodes of Smallville, Walking Dead, tons of other like procedural cop dramas on TV, things like that. So you've seen this guy around, but he plays the Joel character. He's the ex-boyfriend of Rose and he's a cop. He's actually investigating the case of of Laura when when she comes in to speak with Rose. He's investigating the aftermath of that. And while he doesn't really play a romantic interest, they don't uh, they don't play into any sort of. I mean, there's uh, implied feelings still between the or at least from him to her and, and later on we, we find out why she broke up with him and that it may not have been because he was a bad guy or anything like that it was one of those it's not you it's me situations but but they never treat it as a love interest they treat it as uh, she has alienated everybody in her life and needs somebody to help her and essentially he still he still has some feelings for her and is going to help her regardless. And he helps her kind of investigate and trace back the the line for how this, this entity has affected person to person. Her to Laura, to the person before Laura, to the person before that, to the person before that. Uh, which kind of really lends itself to uh, a lot of the lore of this that we may or may not see in future installments. I don't know if they're planning to do a sequel to this. I, I hope not. I don't think everything has to have a sequel. But it, it really just, uh, his character was there for a lot of exposition and there for a lot of help in solving what this entity is or where it came from. We never find any of that out, which I think is a good thing. 
but we know it's been there for quite some time. And that just expands the world and expands the story that this is something bigger than what we've just seen. And it helps add a little gravitas and it helps add a little uh, dimension to, to what you're witnessing. Now, a couple more actors and a couple more characters we're going to talk about. And then we're going to kind of wrap up the spoiler-free section of this uh, this episode. Uh, Jillian Zinzer plays Rose's sister, Holly. And she was a, she was a good character and a good actress for this character uh, holly is very much the stereotypical like hipster millennial very obnoxious very self-involved and and she did this role quite well added a little bit of comic relief not not like slapsticky knee slappy jokes on jokes on jokes uh, sort of comic relief but just in her ridiculousness and her absurdity, uh, it, it was quite funny. It had some some chuckle moments and gave you a little bit of break from the the mounting tension of this movie. And I, I thought she did a really good job with that. She also did a lot. Of, she did a really good job with the the horror of it all when they have that scene at her son's birthday party where Rose shows up and there's the scene with the gift and. That I'm going to talk about that in the spoiler section because that I was there. I have some issues with that, but uh, but just the the shock and horror on her face in her performance uh, was was you know just added a lot of weight to what's going on and what we are witnessing. So I, I thought she didn't have a huge role in this, but she had uh, an effective role in this, which I, I thought she did a really good job. Robin Weigert was in this movie as well. And you, if you don't know her by name, you I'm sure you've seen her in things. I, I know I was probably first aware of her in Deadwood. She played Calamity Jane in Deadwood. I mean, she's done a, a ton of other things. She was in a couple episodes of Lost. She's done a lot of those procedural cop shows, NYPD Blue, the CSIs, ER, uh, all those sorts of things. Uh, she's done Sons of Anarchy. I mean, uh, the woman has been in so many different shows, uh, you know, uh, in various roles over the years. I mean, she just does a, a fantastic and expansive body of work, uh, whether it's TV or film. And she does such a great job in this movie. She plays Rose's former psychologist because of the trauma that Rose experienced as a child. She she plays Dr. Madeline Northcott and she does a good job with the concerned psychologist aspect of it. But then when we get some scenes with her as this entity, this entity mimicking Dr. Northcott, that's probably one of the scariest scenes for me is that scene with, with Rose and the the entity version of Dr. Northcott uh, and that smile that Robin Weiger gives is just so maniacal and sinister and there is so much and I'm sure she's a lovely woman. I, I you know, I just in any in interviews I've seen in any of her acting, I, she's she's just a fantastic actress. And you know, she seems like a, a decent person, but she expresses so much evil in that smile. It's it's creepy, and the the dialogue that she has, and just the the posture that she has 
in, in her interaction with Rose in this scene is just, it's the stuff of nightmares. It, it felt like watching a nightmare on the screen. And, and she did that all just through acting. There's no prosthetics. And that's one of the things uh, I, I heard uh, people talking about making this film is that uh, they did so much practical with this. Uh, Parker Finn is a big fan of, of a lot of the practical effects from the 70s and the 80s and even before that and wanted to do as much practical as, as possible with this. And, and those smiles, they could have easily done that whole digital CG where they stretch the face and make these big exaggerated smiles but they didn't do that and and it you know it's creepy when they do that but it's even creepier that it's not manipulated by computer graphics it's it's creepier that it is these people making these faces and the realness and the groundedness of that i think that's one of the things that makes it so creepy and robin weigert is I, for me hands down her and Caitlin Stacy and there's a woman that is at the nephew's birthday party earlier in the movie that does the smile so well. Some of the other, especially the guys, uh, they they do that with with a couple of the male actors and they don't pull it off quite as well as the female actors and even some of the female other female actors that that pull off this smile don't do it quite as well. But like I said. Caitlin Stacy, Robin Weigert, uh, the friend from the birthday party, they all just nailed it out of the park with a creepy factor, <laughs> giving that smile. Uh, just, oh, so bone chilling. So that's the relatively spoiler-free look at these characters and and these actors that, that brought these characters to life. Uh, if you haven't seen Smile, you really do need to check it out. If you love horror, this is a horror movie that is, it, it's not changing the game. I mean, the, the movie is fairly derivative. Uh, if you saw It Follows, it's kind of like It Follows only with trauma instead of sex being the way that this this curse is passed along. That doesn't make it a bad thing. It's really taking an idea that curses being passed from one person to the next has been around for generations. Uh, since the, the dawn of storytelling, since the dawn of film, we've seen movies like that. It, it follows, did things different in a way that uh, brought sex into the mix. Now this, you know, trauma is the point of theme for the day. Every movie seems to be wanting to say something about trauma. And this just took uh, a curse and related it to trauma in a way that kind of speaks to the fact that we maybe pass along our trauma to other people in, in various ways. And it, it kind of shines a light on that, I think. And I, I'll kind of expand a little more on that uh, when we talk uh, in more of spoilery senses. But this is a movie that has a lot to say, doesn't beat you over the head with any point or any moral or any issue that they're trying to put across. But, you know, Parker Finn lays it all out there and does it in a creepy, scary way that is so well acted and so enjoyable to watch. You are going to get a lot of jump scares. There are a lot of jump scares in this. And, and they do it in a way that sometimes it, it could be a bit cheap for me where you have the jump cut, you know, nobody's there, jump cut, somebody's there, and they just play the loudest 
music cue or sound effect to make you jump because of that, because of the jump cut and the sound effect. That's why you're jumping, not necessarily because of what's on the screen. And I would rather them just use the horror of the screen and the horror of the scene and the horror of the characters. If they're going to do jump cuts, do it that way. Uh, there were plenty of scenes that just were creepy. Images in the dark were were spooky. Portrayal of, of characters uh, through the actors in a very menacing and, and creepy way were, were very effective in this. You didn't need all the cheap jump cuts and the cheap jump scares. Uh, that to me, well, it didn't make the film uh, less of a film for me. It just felt like, okay, yeah, you got me. I jumped because you played a loud noise and you did a jump cut to, to somebody standing right beside her. Okay, yeah, you got me. But that's not scary. That's just startling. So there are some scares like that. But then again, like I said, there are some legitimate scares built on performance, built on atmosphere, built on tension, and, and built on just the creepy mood and the creepy circumstances. To me, that's that's horror right there uh, when you can build on that. And they, while there, there were jump scares and things like that that I don't care for, there was more of the like the legitimate, scary, spooky, atmospheric horror that, that scares you in the pit of your soul. That, to me, was the triumph of this. So if you get a chance to check it out, smile, it's in movie theaters right now. Right now, though, we're going to get into some spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want things spoiled for you, you best uh, hit pause and come back maybe after and hear what else I have to say about this movie. So first off, I, I got to say, this movie, I, I really loved that they they went into some areas that were dark. Uh, you know, when you have Laura showing up at Rose's office and cutting her, essentially looking like she's cutting her face off. Uh, she does takes that piece of, of broken pottery and and cuts almost like a smile shape in, in her neck as she's smiling and and, and dies there. And I, I loved the image of her underneath the the white sheet and the blood from that cut making a smile on it. That was in so many of the movie, some of the original movie posters that were uh, the most creepy and most effective. I loved that. I loved a lot of the gore in this. When you had instances where, uh, you know, people were ripping their faces off and uh, that, that whole scene inside of Rose's old family home, you know, just, it had some great gore to that. And like I said, they, they they went into some really dark places. There was that one, uh, I, I like to liken it to the Glenn Close rabbit scene from Fatal Attraction, where Rose has this cat that comes home to greet her every day. And this cat is just, you know, greets her at the door and just flops down and is purring away, just wants to be petted, just wants her wet food. And and to me, that struck a chord with me because that was exactly like my wife and I's cat, Portia. Uh, she would greet us when we came home from work every day and she would roll around on the floor i used to call it doing her tricks she'd flip and flop and and roll around and want her belly rubbed and you know she would she would meow till we fed her her wet food and uh, to me that that was a personal attachment to this this cat uh, whose name is mustache in the in the the movie and they kept 
focusing on this cat a lot. And I thought to myself, I swear to God, if something happens to Mustache, I riot. Uh, well, I didn't riot, but something did happen to Mustache. And and they have that scene where Rose is wrapping this gift for her nephew because she's going to a party. And there's this, this whole kind of tense scene where uh, somebody broke into the house. The alarm goes off. There's a door open. She can't find anybody. The police can't find anybody. But we just don't think of it anymore until she takes this gift to her nephew. And he opens it up and pulls out. Uh, a dead mustache and it to me that just my my heart just sank because you know i i hate seeing any sort of cruelty to any sort of animal i'll take all the cruelty you want to dish out on humans but but animals uh unless it's my mother-in-law's dog buddy who is you know stephen king's got his uh molly uh the thing of evil if stephen king wants to know true evil uh, he needs to be meet my mother-in-law's dog, Buddy. Uh, that is a true uh, monster and a thing of abject evil. <laughs> so, but but any other animal, I don't want to see anything. Uh, I really don't want to see anything happen to Buddy. But uh, but I you know I'll I'll take horrors and atrocities against humans uh, a billion times over. But you do something to a cat in a movie. Uh, I'm not on board with that. So it was quite disturbing when this this little kid pulls out this this dead cat and the trauma on his face, and it, it kind of played into the how the the theme of this movie, how trauma gets passed on. You know, people who have traumatic things happen to them pass their trauma on to others. Uh, in this movie, it's the form of this entity that drives you insane until it has you kill your yourself in front of somebody else and then that person uh, becomes marked and they're traumatized until they kill themselves in front of somebody else and just the cycle and it, it really does this whole movie speaks to the cycle of trauma how one person is traumatized and they pass that trauma on and it just keeps going and going I half expected to see a little PS scene uh, at the end of this where this little boy uh, gets the grin on his face or something like that. They didn't do that, but but I half expected it just because of the trauma he experienced because of of the this entity screwing around with Rose. But that scene was was very traumatic and very horrific in a, a very taboo sort of way. You know, harming animals and little kids is kind of a I don't want to mean transgressive, I think, is the is the catchphrase of the day for horror fans or at least younger horror fans. Uh, maybe that's it. But but they also did some truly scary scenes, those scenes where Rose is alone in her home and she's looking into the darkness of the kitchen. And at one point you see the image of I'm guessing it is the Laura character and you see this this faint grin that was creepy as fuck. And it seems like that. And then you get other scenes where she's staring into the darkness and you're, you're waiting to see it again. You're waiting for it to materialize and it doesn't. And scares come from other places. And that's where you get a lot of the jump scares where you're expecting to see something in the dark and then 
a phone rings or, or Trevor shows up and, and says, what are you doing? And uh, she went through more wine glasses, dropping them in this movie. Uh, that's probably where half of the movie's budget went to. It was just wine glasses that needed to be dropped. But, uh, but they had a lot of great moments like that. Moments where you're peering into the dark, waiting to see something scary. Now, some of the times they did pay that off. Some of the times uh, you you saw it and you were waiting for something. And that was one of the things I I thought was interesting about the way that Parker Finn went about this. Because he did want to uh, subvert your expectation as to where the scares are going to come from. Uh, you know, you see the one scene where you get the silhouette of Laura uh, grinning from the darkness at Rose. And you never see that. Well, I don't want to say you never see that again, but they keep going to shots in the dark where you're expecting to see uh, Laura materialize or some sort of grinning entity materialize, and it doesn't. And and like I said, you get scares from other things. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way to go about it. I'm not a big fan of subversion of expectations, uh, Last Jedi, but. In, in this regard where you're expecting the scare to come from this direction and it comes from that direction, I thought that was a good manipulation of, of the audience uh, in, in this movie. Another uh, scene I really liked, I kind of talked about the scene with Robin Weigert where it's the entity posing as Dr. Northcott. That scene was just so freaking scary. And Robin Weigert's performance in that was just bone chilling. Uh, you know, the smile she gets out our face when she's you know walking towards rose and she steps up over the couch very just very statuesque and still uh very unearthly how she's moving in this and then the voice uh, of her dialogue was uh, probably i don't know if it was i'm sure it was manipulated somewhere in post-production to be deeper and 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 not but but maybe robin weiger gave that performance i don't know i'd be interested to see how that that scene came about but it was just so like i said brought the hairs on the back of your neck on end it was it was some scary stuff, and that's all performance. There's no CG there. There's no uh, tricks or, or anything like that. That is just a hell of an actress putting on a hell of a performance, scaring the bejesus out of me. And that was probably one of the scarier scenes in that movie. Uh, another really creepy scene was the scene where Rose decides that uh, for this to pass on, she either has to kill somebody, which she uh, contemplates but doesn't want to do, or she can go to where nobody is around, to where this trauma, uh, this curse based on trauma cannot be passed to anyone else. And it is her own abandoned childhood home which we get a lot going on there one there's just the spooky in the dark in a dark house almost had a haunted house feel where there's nothing but you and a dim light and the darkness on the edges of that light and and that is creepy in and of itself you never know when something's going to pop out of the dark and then she starts having visions of her mother and we find out that her mother committed suicide we we knew this from earlier that her mother committed suicide what we didn't know and what we didn't realize is it's not that she feels guilt that her mother committed suicide it's that rose was traumatized because her mother committed suicide took a bunch of pills and had second thoughts and rose could have called 
an ambulance but didn't and let her mother die and that's where her trauma and her guilt comes from and then her mother this vision of her mother kind of becomes a surrogate for that that trauma and the the evil entity is using that against her uh, they did something that i didn't think i was gonna like when it first happened uh, you remember in It, I believe, It Chapter 2, where Beverly, older Beverly Marsh goes back to her old childhood home, and there's the old woman living there, and then she turns into a, a giant and is chasing her around. Uh, the whole giant thing, not from a book. It was stupid. I hated it. Uh, I didn't. They did the exact same thing here, where the image of Rose's mother turns into this giant creature, a version, a giant version of her mother that's lumbering through this house. And I didn't think I was going to like it because I hated it in it, and I think I hated it in it because it wasn't from the original story. It wasn't from the source material. Uh, I, I liked it here a lot better because it was creepy and it did add uh, an otherworldly nature to this, a supernatural nature to this that, you know, I dig that sort of thing. Uh, I, I dig supernatural horror and it just brought this sense of doom to it. What can you do against this giant behemoth that is stalking you in this tiny house? It just it, it really worked for me where it, how it didn't work in the the it uh, chapter two version of this. But I, I I have to tell you, the whole red herring of her uh, seemingly destroying this entity that's a version of her mother, getting out of the house, going back to, to Joel's place and asking if she can just stay there and he can just be with her. Uh, nothing sexual, just uh, she wants him to be with her. And then the realization that he is the entity and that she never made it out of the house. This is all kind of in her head and that the, the entity is still there impersonating her mother. That was just, uh, wow, <laughs> that got me. I thought, oh, wow, this is going to have a happy ending. She actually killed the bad guy and and got away. Uh, I didn't think that was going to happen. And I was right. I should have stuck with my initial instinct because that's not what happened. Uh, she did not get away. And unfortunately, Joel shows up there. And the scene where she is dousing herself with this uh, kerosene or whatever fuel that she's used to, to light this lantern and very Saint Maud in, in some regards, although you don't see the, you don't see her burning like you do in that, that brief image of Saint Maud in Saint Maud where, where she's burning to death. You get that real quick cut at the very end of that, uh, but you do see the reflection of her burning in this close-up on Joel's eye, which is very haunting and very disturbing, even though you don't catch much of her burning, just, just knowing what is happening, that he is seeing this, and now this trauma is passed on to him, and now he is going to be haunted by this evil entity, and he is going to eventually die. They, they said, you know, four to ten days, I believe it was. This entity will eventually have you killing yourself in front of somebody else. Passing this curse on through trauma. And it was just such a dark and down ending that, you know, that's, that's what you need sometimes in horse. Sometimes the final girl's got to get away. Uh, but sometimes everybody's got to die 
in horror and and that's just the way it is and this is a situation where this is not a happy ending and i'm glad it wasn't uh you know you would like to think there'd be a happy ending that somebody would find a way out of this but this is just one of those uh things maybe not a moral to the story but yes sometimes shit happens and there is not a thing you can do about it and that's a that's a sad reality of things but uh it's it's real and and I like that. I like the dark ending. I like that this this story wasn't going to have a happy ending because of everything that went on. And and that's that's how it goes with trauma. There there generally aren't a lot of happy endings with trauma and passing trauma on from one person to the next. And I don't think this movie really gives a a clear idea how to stop that. But maybe in just recognizing that that's that's what we do you know when you've been traumatized you're going to pass it on to somebody else whether you whether you do it intentionally or not 99.9 percent of the time it's probably not intentional but you do it anyway just by way of how you deal with that trauma most times people don't deal with trauma in the most uh constructive ways uh it's usually uh, a detriment to you know the way people deal with trauma usually hurts themselves more and hurts others in the in the process which i think i like that you know you got a lot of movies and shows out there dealing with trauma as a theme you know the david gordon green halloween trilogy has, has dealt a lot with trauma but i don't know as if anybody's dealt with it in this way speaking to the fact that that we pass on trauma like this uh, it, it was just really interesting i i really liked the theme i love that subtext of the whole thing uh, it maybe it wasn't really subtext i mean the, the trauma is all right there they even say that you know people have this passed on through witnessing a traumatic event by somebody who is cursed with this evil smiling entity i like how it's at the forefront but it's saying something that you can recognize easily but not preaching to you about anything not trying to tell you uh what to do about it it's just telling you that it's there and here's a bunch of horror all based around this idea that we pass on trauma and that to me had a, a scary realism in and of itself that that I appreciated. So I have to say, you know, I really enjoyed this movie and I have to give uh, a tip of the hat. You know, I've talked a lot about all the fantastic acting in this, uh, but Parker Finn, this is his theatrical release directorial debut. He's done a lot of shorts and things like that, short films, uh, but this is his first full-length feature debut. And not only did he direct this, but he also wrote this as well. It's actually based on, I believe, a story of his called Laura Hasn't Slept. And uh, I just was really blown away by just how good this was it was an interesting idea an interesting concept it was well executed on the screen are there some there's some issues yeah of course no no film is perfect like i said uh i had issues with the jump scares uh but that's just more of a personal preference i don't i don't care for jump scares to me they feel cheap uh i but there's a lot of atmospheric and tension driven horror in this as well that and, and character driven horror as well so you know the few jump scares i, I can forgive those it, it did seem like rose went from being a doctor who's got it mostly together to being crazy and manic 
in a in the drop of a hat now granted she does have a traumatic past she did witness something traumatic when when laura killed herself in front of her i just would like to seen a a little more gradual descent into madness i would like to seen a few more scenes uh where you know she is just seeing somebody strangers on the streets sitting there standing there smiling at her i mean we did get some shots where she's looking out the window and she thinks she sees laura there long after she's been deceased i i don't know i just i it felt like it went from zero to 60 in the crazy factor in the manic factor uh just felt a little too quick there again it didn't take me out of the movie it wasn't a deal breaker it was just a little nitpick uh, on, on my part of what I would have liked to have seen. But all in all, I thought the movie was really good. So well acted. Just a fantastic story. And uh, fantastically executed. Like I said, Parker Finn used a lot of practical effects in this. That's to say, not to say they didn't use any CG to help uh, enhance uh, effects and things of that nature. But they did a lot of practical uh, work with the, the gore and the blood and, and things like that. That just, to me, that's horror filmmaking. Anybody can just slap some CG on and it can be done to varying degrees of effectiveness. Sometimes there are some decent CG horror effects. Uh, some, especially with like fake CG blood, look horrible. But I tell, nothing beats practical for me. And I, I really respect the fact that Parker Finn uh, went to great lengths to to do a lot of this practically. So that really, you know, that makes me a fan right there. It makes me excited to see what Parker Finn has in store for the future. Uh, because I think he's got a, a bright future ahead in horror and, and filmmaking in general. I hope he does a lot more horror because I really enjoyed this uh, from a writing story aspect to a directing aspect. I think he hit one out of the park and i think that's why the studio paramount pictures really got behind this and really put forth a, a good effort to help promote this uh this movie with with good trailers they didn't give too much away they gave away some i thought maybe too much but no it was just the tip of the iceberg the, the trailers were good they had a lot of good imagery in movie posters there was one that seemed a little with the mouth inside the mouth inside the mouth was kind of i didn't care for that one but a lot of the other posters with people sitting there grinning and you know the one with the the sheet with the blood-soaked grin on it just a lot of creepy things like that the the people showing up at baseball games and sporting events smiling wearing t-shirts that say smiles uh, a piece of creative marketing that i just loved that so it was really cool to see uh paramount really get behind this movie because i think they believed in it and rightfully so because this really was a fantastic movie in, in my mind hopefully if you saw this you enjoyed smile as much as i did for horror fans this i think is probably one of the better horror movies of the year uh, as far as pure scares, I really enjoyed it. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. And look forward to more from Parker Finn. Uh, I'm going to be on the lookout for, for more from this guy. So I want to thank everybody for taking the time to hear my thoughts on the new movie, Smile. If you haven't seen it yet and uh, you 
you know, you don't mind the spoils I just apparently gave you if you listen to this all the way through, uh, go check it out. It, it really is a movie that is going to to give you some chills and give you some real legit scares. And uh, it's got a little something for everyone. It's got the psychological horror. It's got the performance-based horror. It's got the gore. It's just got a lot going on for it that, that I quite enjoyed. So I want to thank everyone for listening. Check out more with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page. We're always posting trailers to the latest movies and series out there, as well as sharing articles from all over the internet about horror, fantasy, and science fiction. You can also check us out on Instagram as well. And no matter where you're listening to this podcast, whatever platform, please subscribe, follow, download the episodes, leave a review. Five stars would be awesome, but whatever review you leave us, we do appreciate that. And until next time... Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!